What I'd like you to do is take a minute, if you can, and think about, over the last six months of your walk with the Lord, what has God said to you, or what has grabbed your attention? If you can, write it down. If you can't, just think about it. You can write it on your cell phone. Secondly, when you got saved, within the first year that you know you got saved, in what area did he grab your heart? Something of the kingdom that grabbed your heart. You didn't understand it, maybe, but what grabbed your heart? Think about that. Write that down. All right. You all got something? Good. All right. What I want to talk on this morning is, what have you seen and heard? What have you seen and heard? So go with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to turn to a number of pieces of scripture. A very brief context because we've got quite a bit of scripture to go through. John is in John the Baptist is in prison. He's having second thoughts as to who Jesus was. So he calls some of his disciples. He sends them to ask Jesus while he's stuck in prison. Are you the one who was to come? You can read that in Luke 7 verse 18, but we're skipping down. And so they come to Jesus. John sends the two guys. They come to Jesus and they ask. John has sent us to ask, are you the one who was to come? Verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. Go to Acts chapter 1. This is the doctor, Luke, writing Acts. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, what you've seen and what, he, what people saw him do and what people heard him teach. All they began to do and to teach. Okay? Go to chapter 2, verse 32, where Peter is explaining what has happened. And in 32 he says, God has raised us, Jesus, to life, and we are witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, we have received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit that has now been poured out to you what you now see and what you hear. Go to Acts 4.20. Peter and John had just cured the man at Gate Beautiful, and the religious leaders were a little upset about this, and they were trying to stop them and telling them not to preach in that name. And verse 17 says, But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn the people. We must warn these men not to speak no longer in, in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you or rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They could not help themselves to speak about what they'd seen and heard. Go to Acts 26. This is Paul giving his shorter uh, testimony and telling his testimony and verse 14 he says how they were going from Damascus and he fell on the ground and he heard a voice also why do you persecute me then I asked who are you Lord I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting the Lord replied now get up and stand in your feet I've appointed I've appeared to you to appoint you as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you in other words, what you will see and what you hear. And what I'm going to continue to show you, what you will see and hear. 
Then go to 1 John, verse 1. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. The Amplified says, actually says this, it's a distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus to have fellowship with the Lord. It's amazing that it puts that. It's wonderful. All that you've seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So you can see from those scriptures that these people were just declaring what they'd seen and heard. What had become real to them. The disciples were commissioned to go out. Tell what you've seen and heard. Peter and John said, we cannot help ourselves. We have to declare what we've seen and heard. Because when you see something of God, when you hear something from God, something begins to change within us. That's where authority comes. That's where we understand authority. We understand knowing. It's a knowing that surpasses all knowledge. It's a knowing that surpasses any intellectual knowledge. It's a knowing. It's a something that happens inside you and I that it's a knowing that takes place. A deep knowing that surpasses all knowledge. And this gives us authority to stand in Him, who He is, and who we are, and it gives us purpose. We have to see and hear. And so what I want to touch on today, how does that happen in you and I? So you can live your life, be what God's called you to be, go to work, function as a father or a mother or a businessman, whatever it is, but be open to declaring what you've seen and heard. Because what you declare, what you've seen and heard, that being ingrained inside you will carry life. You don't have to manufacture it. But we have to look how this process takes place. It's very important to understand how it begins to happen inside us. Amen. Habakkuk 2.14, you don't have to turn there, says it this way. The Bible says it in different ways. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You've heard me touch on that, yeah. That's not maybe or if, it will be filled. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The word for knowledge in that scripture is the word yada. How have you pronounce it? It's the same word used in Genesis 4.1 where it says Adam knew Eve. They were intimate. Adam knew Eve. There was a knowing. It's an intimate experiential knowing which results in reproduction. Where there's an experiential knowing of who Jesus is in your heart and my heart, it will result in reproduction. It will. Hallelujah. We don't have to make it happen. We don't have to work hard at it. God does the work. It's wonderful. So the promise of Habakkuk will not be filled at one time, but will be unfolded through a continuous 
process of relational encounters, just as Adam and Eve experienced in a lifelong commitment to one another. That's how the glory of the Lord will cover the earth, as the waters cover the sea. In Ephesians 2, if you can turn to Ephesians 2, please. We're going to a lot of scripture just to lay a bit of a foundation. Paul puts it this way. Ephesians 2, we're going to read through 10 verses. As you know, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Folk, you've heard me say it before, and a lot of stuff I'm saying today you know, but I'm just trying to help put some handles on it so we can walk in it. Jesus never came to make bad people good. Never, he never came to do that. He came to make dead people alive. We were dead in our sin and transgression, and he came to breathe life into us. Amen. And morality flows out of that. That's how it begins to flow. And that's what the Bible says. We were dead in our transgressions. And when we followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. Turn to the person next to you and say, that includes you. You're right. All of us <laughs> also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts. Who knows? We all lived like that at one stage, eh? Yeah, it's Josh. You put your hand up. Good for you. All right. <laughs> like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who's rich. I often pause. If God is rich, I wonder how rich he is. Rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us. So Paul is saying the same thing. We are God's workmanship. So he allows us to see and hear things that take hold of my heart, take hold of my life. And as I give it time to, in a sense, I try and think of the right word, marinate inside me. As I give it time to digest inside me. And then I begin to speak what I see and what I've heard. It causes a reproduction for the kingdom. Because we are his workmanship. So this is not from ourselves. It's up there. It's not by works. We are God's. So please turn to the neighbor and say, you cannot make this happen. So take the pressure off yourself. All right. Philippians. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12. It says, therefore, Paul puts it another way. Still laying a foundation. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, not work for, 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How? For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So, it is God who does the work. We're not working for our salvation, we're working it out. It's God who works in you. That word to work in you means to bring about, cause something to happen, set in motion, to start, to get impetus. So God's the initiator of it. And he's talking to Christians, understand that. God continues to initiate things in our life that he wants us to co-labor with him and walk out. That word to will and to act means to desire. It's a pressing onto action. It's producing both desire and willingness. So God begins to work in us as we work out of salvation to start something in motion to produce desire and willingness. God is doing it in us. Hello? Amen. It's good news. Amen. I don't have to try hard. Okay, I try to be hard once. I tried hard. I tried to be a good Christian. Trust me, it didn't work. Lasted about 12 hours. And then I shouted at my wife. It was her fault, but anyway, it doesn't matter. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah. And when it says his good pleasure, that means it shapes and affects right decisions and intentions. So it's God who starts something, causes something, sets something in motion, gives impetus, plus the desire, plus the willingness to shape something in me so I can make the right decisions. Then I'm working out my salvation. Amen. All right. So, how does all this happen? Four simple, the way I understand it. I'm not saying it's the only thing. Simple things. We need a revelation of Christ, which will lead to repentance. I'm going to explain each one of these. Will lead to equipping, and then it will lead to an engaging. So, let's talk about revelation of Christ. That's how it starts, through revelation. Where the eyes of my heart are enlightened. Where the eyes of my heart see something of Jesus Christ. Tell people what you've seen and heard. Where I see something or my ears or my heart hear something. God has revealed something of who he is, what he's doing or his word or his purpose to me. He's opened the curtain wide through Jesus Christ. And he's allowed me to see something of who he is. That's what Paul says. I pray that your eyes of your heart would be enlightened in Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. For me, it's the greatest prayer you can pray. God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Give me a spirit. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Why? So that you might know him. Everything's in Christ. It's a revelation of Christ. It's not a revelation of my gifts or how good I am. Or, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's an ongoing, unfolding revelation of Jesus Christ. Somebody said this. If people, when I used to lead a church, people used to say to me, how big is your church? And depending on the answer again, it was depending where I'd stand 
in their estimation. So I'd say, oh, it's under a thousand. <laughs> oh, I'm well, how much under a thousand? Because it's judged by numbers. Everything is judged by numbers in the kingdom. Yet God doesn't judge it that way. In actual fact, in the kingdom, he reduces numbers. So that we might know that it's him doing the work and not us. Everywhere, you see, just keeps reducing, 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 reducing. Now, God is not about reduction. God is about multiplication. But he wants to know that it's him doing the work and not us. But through us, if you understand what I'm saying. So how do we weigh success in the kingdom? It's not by numbers. I believe it's this, because I heard somebody say this is how much of Jesus is in what we do. That's how God works success. How much of Jesus is in what you're doing? Paul says, that's why I labor to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's how success is weighed. As I'm aligned myself to be conformed to his image. That's why it's a revelation of Jesus, and it's an ongoing revelation of Jesus. God's got to open up the eyes of our heart. I walked for 33 years with my eyes and my heart closed to him. And I didn't open them. He did. He did when I was 33 years old. And he's continuing. It was, that, was a bit, that was the initial gateway into something. You with me? And by his grace, he's allowed me to experience and see things, more things. It's by his grace. It's not earned. Don't have to twist his arm. It's his grace. And that's what he says. What are you going to do with what I show you? Because that's what he's going to ask us one day. He's not going to ask us about numbers. That's why we need to be intentional about taking hold of what he's received, or what he's shown us. That's why I asked you to write it down. Because you received a revelation from him by what you wrote down there. That's what you did. He opened up something to you, revealed something to you. It can be through preaching, it can be through the worship, it can be through a word of knowledge, it can be through prophecy, it can be anywhere. It can even be through unbelievers. God speaks through unbelievers. He speaks through a donkey. And it's as we learn to tune the eyes of our heart and the ears of our heart to his voice, he starts to give us revelation. It's an interesting scripture in Luke 24 is where these men are on the road to Emmaus. You know the story I'm telling you? And they were actually discussing what had just taken place. And then next thing Jesus appears and walks with them. And he says, what are you talking about? And they say, where have you been? Where have you been? Don't you know what's happened here? And they begin to tell Jesus about this man, Jesus, that was crucified and hung on a cross. And now there's even reports that he's alive. And that's what we're discussing. And they like say to Jesus, just standing there with them, where have you been? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're a visitor. Have you come from somewhere else that you don't understand what's going on here? Because it was a big thing in that day. Very big thing. And then he continues to walk with them. And I'm just going to quickly turn to it so I don't paraphrase it wrongly. And so he said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? That's Luke 24, 25. But they still didn't recognize who he was. But he's telling them all that the Old Testament was pointing to. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. But they still didn't know it was him. It's amazing. But he's right there. Because their eyes weren't opened. Then it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. I'll come back to that. But they urged him to stay strongly. They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day was almost over. So he went to stay with them. Then when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he began to give it to them. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Isn't that amazing? That he can be with them for so long, explain scripture to them, and they still didn't recognize him. Because something needed to be opened up to them. And then he disappeared. He reveals himself and then he's gone. <laughs> they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road? That's how you will begin to know that God wants to reveal something to you. Your hearts begin to burn. Something begins to churn in you. Something begins to move. You don't understand it. You haven't got it yet, but God is preparing you to reveal something to you. That's what he did to them. That's why they urged him strongly. Stay with us, because somehow when you talk, something takes place in us. We don't know, but something happens. Stay with us. Stay with us. And God is urging us, when that happens to you, stay with him. Stay with him. Don't let life take you away from that. Don't let life rob you of that moment. Hello? Because revelation's coming. And it's the backbone of faith. That's what it is. Revelation of God brings power and change. We find out about God through revelation. All right, so that's a lot I can say, but I won't. Revelation will lead to repentance. I'm not talking about forgiveness of sins that includes that. I'm talking more about a change of mindset, a change of attitude, and a change of values. That's what it begins to do. Because the rhema word comes alive. That's what it does. The rhema word comes to you and I, and the rhema word is God in a sense himself in his word. And whatever is in that word is contained within that word to produce and reproduce what it needs to produce and reproduce. So as that rhema word comes to us and we give it time to take root in us, as we give it time to impact us, as we give it time to, I can't think of the right word, help me. Incubate, Dave, hallelujah. If we give it time to incubate inside us, as we give it time, because that word is alive and active. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow. It cuts between soul and spirit. It judges the attitudes and the thoughts inside of us. Not in a negative way. It allows us to see them. Because the word has come. And when that word comes, folk, we have to understand it is God himself that has spoken it. So it carries God's DNA. It carries God's ability. It carries God's possibilities. That's why the impossible becomes possible when we hear his word. Hello, you with me? We need it. We need that. We need that. 
And that word will begin to change me on the inside. That word will begin to change the way I think. That word will begin to change my attitudes. That's what the word does. It's not me changing me. It's not me changing Michelle. It's the word of God. It's the revelation within that brings the change. Just give it time. Just give it time. Just give it time. This is what the rhema word does. The rhema word is needed to live by. Jesus said, you not live by bread, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of my Father. It's living bread to us. It's living. Think of when you're hungry. You go eat bread or you go eat a meal. Think of it as your spirit. When it's hungry, it needs the word of God. The live, active word of God that comes alive in you. The rhema word changes us to co-labor with him. I'm going to touch on this one a little bit. This is where Mary, the angel came to Mary and said, this and this is going to happen. And she said, let it be unto me, as you have said. In other words, let it be to me what you have said. In other words, let something happen in me what you have said. That's what she said, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let it be to me according to your word. It is something that is done to you. It changes you. It impacts you deep in your heart, the desire, and it gives you stamina and desire to go along with his purpose. That's what it does. And it's very interesting. If you read the story of Mary, and I don't have time, then when they moved on from then, when she gave birth to Jesus, as you know, the angels came and they told the five, the three wise men and the three wise men came because the angel had sent them there and they proclaimed the good news. And as they did that, more angels came and announced glory in the highest. Think of all that's happening. But Mary says, but Mary treasured this thing in her heart. So sometimes things can happen and we want the angels to come, hallelujah, and sing. But don't get caught up with that. Celebrate it. Get caught up. Treasure the thing that God has put in your heart. Then it says they were going back. And Jesus got not lost. You know, he stayed back. He was 12 years old. And his parents only realized, whoa, hang on a minute. Where's Jesus? And they go looking for him. You know the story. And eventually they find him. And he says, I'm about my father's business. And the Bible says, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. God wants us to treasure his word in our heart. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, much fruit. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, John 15. He wants his words to remain in us. That's what he does. It's something. So that's what the rhema word does. So the rhema word is life to us. The rhema word changes us. The rhema word imparts faith to us. The rhema word imparts life to us. And the rhema word is our weapon of warfare. Pick up the word, shield, whatever. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? I just don't have time to go into it. It's a key. That's what it does. It changes something inside me. It leads to repentance. It leads to an adjustment of my attitude and my thought process because my mind's got to line up with the Word of God in order for me to be effective for God. So I've got to think like He wants me to think. So I need His Word to help me think like He wants me to think. You understand? You're with me, folk? So it leads to repentance. So repentance is not a negative thing. Repentance is a very positive thing. 
very, very positive thing. I just know in my own life many times when uh, my attitude hasn't been the best of attitude. When I get hungry, my attitude's not good. My family knows that. Still working on that one. All right, and my attitude's not good in the traffic. Still working on that one. But anyway, <laughs> and so I just know through my years of walking with the Lord, I've had to allow God to do the adjustments inside me. Now, I've had to be obedient to it and willing for him to do that, but I think that's why we're sitting here today. So we're saying, God, this is how you get more of God. Because I'm going to show you at the end. Jesus said, be careful how you listen. With the measure that has been given to you, will the increase come. And what you have heard me saying, you're not using, I'll take away. That's quite a strong statement, Jesus said. That's why it's important we take hold of it. All right. So we have revelation will lead to repentance. And then it requires us to equip ourselves. Now, this is not happens this way. It happens in seasons in our life. I get a revelation of God in a certain aspect. Then it leads to repentance and his word changes me. I get equipped, but then that process can start again in another area of my life. You understand what I'm saying? It's not you do this, then this, then this. I need more of this, and I need more of this, if you understand what I'm saying. I do in my life. Okay. Okay, equipping. Equipping requires diligence, time, and commitment. That's what it requires. Equipping brings understanding and insight and the how-tos. And for me, there's two areas of equipping that needs to take place simultaneously at the same time. First of all, what I call foundational equipping. If you want to say, God, I've put my hand up, I'm available, uh, work in me so you can work through me, so your kingdom can be reproduced in and through others, etc., etc., all right? Then you need to begin to equip yourself, first foundationally. So I've written some things down. Number one, have assurance of your salvation. Number two, not in necessarily this order, the Hebrew six foundations. Who knows what I'm talking about? The Hebrew six. Get understanding of those. Get a little bit of understanding. What is faith? What is repentance? What is baptisms? Remember, I preached on it a little while ago. Understanding something on the significance of baptisms. Understand what it means to lay hands on. Why, where in the New Testament does it say lay hands on? There's five times in the New Testament that we're called to lay hands on. So something can be imparted. Begin to understand. don't have to be a theory, but some understanding of that. 1 Peter 3 says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. So, are you able to share a brief testimony? Not long. Five minutes. But not focus four minutes on the past and one minute on what Jesus did. <laughs> you with me? Are you able to do that? Are you able to bring a brief gospel message? Prepare yourself. Preach to your chairs or your table or your trees or the flowers or whatever the case is. Develop. So we've got to equip ourselves. Learning to hear his voice. Giving. What does the Bible say about giving? Logos and Rhema. What does the Bible say about lo what's Rhema and what's Logos? So we have to have some understanding of this. That's all. This is a foundational equipping. Sonship, daughtership. What does that mean? I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a child of God. I came through a lot of times this morning. It was wonderful. Because everything flows from that place. Okay. Church. How does God view church? 
What is church? Why do I need to be part of a church? Why can't I just sit at home and turn the TV on? And there's some good preaching. I'm not saying there's not. But why does God say be part of the believers? You with me? It's important. Okay. Gifts. The gifts. There's gifts of the Father, gifts of the Son, gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. Just gifts. So just some things that we can begin to equip ourselves with and help. It's just what I call foundational equipping. And it's a process. I understand that. God's not going to wait till you've got all there before he uses us. He uses us while we're busy doing that. That's the beauty about it. Okay. Then the second part of equipping is the desire of your heart. What has grabbed your attention? That's what I asked you to write it down. What has taken hold of you? Is it worship? We had two ladies come and help us with worship. Something that God maybe grabbed their heart a season ago. So if you feel God has called you to be part of worship, then you've got to practice. If you have an instrument, practice at home. Practice. Practice just naturally playing the instrument or singing or whatever. I practice in the shower and my wife says, Ooh, don't practice anymore. Okay. <laughs> Is it children? Do you have a heart for children? Then find out a little bit. Read a little bit about it. Okay. The sick. Do you have a heart to see the sick get healed? That's what grabbed your heart. Just grabbed your heart for that. It's like it's, you just think about it and think about it. You can't stop. Then you've got to get something. You've got to read some stuff. Get equipped in it. Maybe the poor. Maybe it's administration. Because <laughs> it's a gift. It really is. What has God grabbed your heart with? And he would have done that probably in the first year of your, as you got to know him. Something that he grabbed your heart with. You don't understand it. For me, it was two things. And I'll just share with you very easily. Two things. I wanted people to see the reality of Jesus Christ. Who he really is. Because it's such a low view of him. And second of all, I wanted people to walk in freedom. Those two things just grabbed my heart. I just wanted people free. Wanted people free. So I think you've heard me tell the story, but I'll tell it again, just so you, it just underscores what I'm trying to say. So uh, when I first saw somebody getting set free deliverance-wise, it grabbed my heart. You can ask my wife. I couldn't stop thinking. I just saw it happen. See, I saw something. I didn't do it. I just saw somebody else do it. And I thought, my, because I saw the power of Christ. I saw the change in somebody, and it grabbed me. And I thought, my, that's amazing. I want to be able to do something of that nature. It grabbed me. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I started to read books. All the books I could get. I was a young Christian. I started to read Derek Prince books. I started to do this. And then about six months later, we went to a conference. And at the conference in the afternoon, you could go to various workshops or whatever you call them. And I think there were five or six. I can't remember. There was one on worship, one on this, one on that. And there was one on deliverance. So the guy was leading and said, listen, there's four afternoons, so we would like you to go to, every afternoon we'd like you to go to one. So the first afternoon, take a guess where I went, deliverance workshop. The next afternoon, I snuck back into the deliverance workshop. The next afternoon, I snuck back into the deliverance. I went to four days in a row because it had grabbed my heart. That's what I'm saying. You've got to get yourself equipped. And that's where we begin to put some work in. God's doing the work in us, and I say, all right, God, I'll work with you. Let me equip myself, because you put the hunger and thirst in me. 
You understand what I'm saying? This is a time when God builds certain, also a time when God builds certain character, carries certain character things in your life, essential things into your life. That flows out of revelation and repentance. He begins to build some character in you. You begin to discover your gifts. You begin to build a solid, solid foundation in your relationship with God. You begin to learn how to pray. You begin to learn how to exercise faith. You begin to learn to work with your brothers and sisters. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're my brother or my sister. Maybe in the natural, but also in the spirit. You are. Okay. All right. He did. And you've got to learn. And the beauty about it is you've got to learn to work with the person next to you. Yeah. Even if you don't like them. Because <laughs> you don't always like family. You understand what I'm saying? But you've got to learn to work with them. All right. God does that on purpose. And you've got to learn to deal with offense. You will not walk your Christian walk. From the day you get saved to the day you go and be glory with them. You will not walk your Christian walk without having to deal with offense. At least, at least ten times. In the first year. <laughs> you have to learn to deal with offense publicly. You have to, people. You have to. You have to learn how to work publicly with that so it doesn't take hold of you. Because that will just stop you right where you are. Well, And you've got to learn how to work with that. Without blaming anybody. Without justifying anything. Just, God, deal with my heart. I've taken an offense against this person. Even if they were wrong, it doesn't matter. It's my heart. And I'll say it again. I've been married for nearly 41 years to my precious wife. In all those 41 years, when we've had an argument, and I've taken it before God, I've yet for God to agree with me. Not once he says, you're right, Ken. She's wrong. Not once. Not once in 41 years. Not once. He just says, Ken, how's your heart? Ken, how's your heart? <laughs> it's what he, oops, you're right, oops, yeah. that's what he's after, the heart. And when it remains soft and pliable, he can work in it. Amen. So you've got to learn to deal with offense. It's just reality. All right. And family, you've got to understand how God views family. Family is a big, big deal in his eyes. Natural family and biblical family, big deal. That's why he's the father. All right. Okay, coming, landing this thing. I've got a few more minutes. So it's revelation, repentance, equipping, and the last one is engage. We won't spend a lot of time on this. Engage. God now wants us to engage. So God will say, let me use Elisa, because I know Elise. Elise, what have you seen and heard? Elise, what have you seen and heard of me? Share that. When opportunity arrives, share that. That's all. Nothing else. Don't have to be a theologian. Elise, what have you seen and heard of me? What have I revealed to you and shown you, Elise? Elise might be working through stuff. Elise might be struggling. Sorry, Elise. I know her, so I can do this. She might be struggling with some issues in her life. God knows that. He'll just say, Elise, what have you seen and heard of me? Tell people that. That's it. So God will allow you to engage people, situations, where you work, 
or your school. He will bring about things where he'll say, just share people, tell people what you've seen and heard. That's it. Nothing more. Because that will carry life. That will carry. It will come through your words, your language, your South African accent or American accent, but it carries the life of God because it's something is done inside you. You just go tell people what have you seen and what have you heard. Amen. Last scripture. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. I hope there's been help. I had the privilege recently, uh, Rebecca, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. Rebecca phoned me and said um, she had a heart for a young man. Don't even know, I can't remember where you, you met him, but anyway, and he needed some help in terms of just getting some sense of freedom. So she phoned me, and um, it was such a privilege to be able to go stand alongside someone and see freedom come to someone else. But she had the heart for the person. And it came out of that heart of compassion and love for somebody else. That's how it works. I'm saying, all right, God's put this person on my heart. And I'm not too sure to go about it. Let me get somebody else who can, we can stand together and work together to bring freedom. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's in a process. I'm not, I haven't seen him for a while. I'm not saying he's free, but he's in a process. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Verse 24, I actually want to read it out of the Amplified if I can, because it just fits it better, a little bit better. Mark 4, 24. This is after the seed of the sower, the parable of the sower that Jesus said. And in Mark 4, 24, it says this. And he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. For to him who has, more will be given. Even what he has will be taken away by force. He's not doing something with it. So I encourage you, look back at your piece of paper. What has God said to you? What has he revealed to you? What did he grab your heart with? Amen. Be about your father's business because he's doing a work in you. Amen.